Happy Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day. Um, any of you mothers? Yeah, some of you. It's, um, it's an awesome thing to be a mom. I mean, it really is that when you're responsible for new life. And uh, it's just my respect, kudos, and congratulations to all of you mothers. Yay! So today we're going to talk about the topic of course correction. Because we all have to course correct at some point in life, right? I mean, you're going along, being happy, and all of a sudden you get a child. (laughs) And there's a course correction. No, it's awesome. I mean, children are wonderful things, but it does require course correction, doesn't it? Everyone has to course correct at some point in life. I, I went from a college Christian ministry to a PhD in economics and career in finance, back to pastoring. So I know something about course correction, right? Back and forth, but everyone has to. Not just me, everyone has to course correct. It's unavoidable. It's inevitable. Life doesn't go in a straight line. Life doesn't go in a way that you expect it to. I'm sure that none of you are living the life that you thought you would live when you were in junior high. Any of you in junior high thought, this is the way I'm going to live, and then it all panned out exactly the way? Any of you? Any of you thought, when I grow up in 2018, I'll be sitting at this church called the River on a Sunday in May, Right? Life just turns out in very unexpected ways, doesn't it? And you have to adjust. Everyone has to course correct. In fact, some of you may be uh, thinking about a course correction right now. In career or in, geo- in where you live or in relationships. Uh, everyone has to think about course correction at different points in life. And I met some people who just never made the course corrections that were necessary out of, out of habit, out of fear, and it just really wrecked their lives. It's just not good. On the other hand, I've also met people who made major course corrections and it made things worse, <laughs> right? And so how do you know when to zig and when to zag? How do you know when to make course corrections and in what way and What principles should be guiding you and how do we do this thing as life just throws different things at us? Has that ever crossed your mind? Has you ever wondered how do I make these decisions as I have to make these decisions like moving or careers or relationships? How do we course correct if, if things are not working out the way that we expected them to? Is that a good topic? Sounds relevant? See, faith has a lot to teach us in this. There is a lot of power in faith to help us when we have to course correct. So let's get to it, okay? So, two biggest names in church history are Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul. Have you heard of them? Peter, Paul, big names, yeah? We just need Mary to round out the, the band, right? 
Peter, Paul, and Mary. So anyway, they are big names, and they both had to course correct majorly in their lives. In Peter's case, he uh, started out as uh, an illiterate fisherman in really a backwards rural town, boondock town named Galilee. And uh, he thought all his life, he's just going to live his life out as a fisherman, and what else is there? And that was his expected, expected course of life. But then Jesus turns up and, and he decides to just leave everything behind. His job, his people, the people who are depending on him. He, he just abandons them all to join up with this band of revolutionaries led by Jesus because he really, really believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah to save and lead Israel. And, and he really thought that we, this small band of revolutionaries, were going to take over the country. And we're going to make everything better. And we're going to like, you know, just change all the laws. And he was going to become the prime minister or something. And, and they were going to just ride high with Jesus. Uh, we see things like this in history, right? A small group of people, you know, they band together and they, like, you know, Hitler, others, you know, Castro, you know, they get together and you, think, you don't think much of them at first, but then they take over, right? Things like that do happen. And Peter really thought that was going to happen. And so he leaves everything behind, throws his lot in, and he goes at it. But then Jesus goes and gets himself crucified. You know, that was a truly, tremendously traumatic event for Peter and all the Christians at the time. Because they had these expectations that Jesus was going to just change everything. Then he dies. And so that just devastated everyone. All their hopes and dreams just crushed Traumatic event. I don't know if this, if you can relate to that. Or maybe not to that extent, but can you, can you relate to your hopes and dreams getting blown up? Yeah? I mean, you, you have hopes. You have dreams. You, you live in New York. You're, you have dreams and hopes about relationships. You have hopes and dreams about careers. You have hopes and dreams about life in general. But they don't always turn out well, do they? Things have a tendency to blow up, don't they? In my case, I developed this back problem. I I never thought I would have this debilitating back problem, but that just changed so many things in my life. Can, Can any of you relate to anything like that? Just, you have these hopes and dreams and they just all change. They get dashed. And that can be devastating. In in Peter's case, he is so traumatized and disappointed. He feels like a complete failure. His life had been a complete and utter waste. He got his hopes up and dreams up and what did that get him? And we just completely crushed I can just picture what he's going through in his mind. 
he must have been telling himself, what business did you have joining up with this band of dreamers? Look at you. You are an illiterate fisherman. You have no education. You have no experience. You have no leadership. What What were you thinking that you could get something good in your life like that? Who are you kidding? You have nothing. And the worst of all, you have no guts. You know, the first chance you get... They ask you if you know Jesus and you fold it like a complete coward like you are. You have no backbone. You, have, you couldn't even stand up to anyone. What were you thinking that you could be a revolutionary? You are a complete lily-livered coward who knows nothing. All you're good for is being a fisherman. That's all you know. That's what you should get back to. And he does. He crawls back to his hometown. Can you relate to that kind of self-talk in your head? Maybe not to that extent, but like at least like, you know, you're no good. What were you thinking? You could do these things. Can you really do those things? Really? You're no good. Look at all this history of failures. Any of you relate to anything like that, right? I mean, if you're a human being, if you're like me, oh yeah, that's really familiar self-talk, isn't it? So he goes back to Galilee, back to fishing, because that's all he knows. But can you imagine what kind of like shame he felt? How, how, how is he going to like talk to his hometown people? Now, people were counting on him. In, in, in fishing boats and stuff, and he just left them. And now he has to go back to them? What is he going to tell them? What did he do? He's just complete failure. What shame! Can you just imagine just what shame he must have felt and how complete failure he was? horrible place that he was in. He's so disappointed in the world. I mean, the world was, was acclaiming Jesus one day, and the next week they crucified him. The world was just horrible. So disappointed in God, so disappointed in himself, in shame. But that's not the end of his story. If it were, this would be a really depressing sermon, wouldn't it? Be like, yeah, you know what? Things don't work out. You know, just depressing, horrible. Let's go home and just crawl up in bed. Right? But that's not the end of the story because Jesus shows up. Jesus, the risen Jesus shows up and saves the day. It's a very powerful story. The book of John. uh, Jesus meets Peter in Galilee, in his hometown. And let's read about how Jesus goes about putting Peter back together. All right? Powerful story.
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. A very rich passage, a lot in it. Let's get into it. He says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Why does being asked the third time grieve him so much? Well, one could speculate that, you know, just being repeatedly asked, you know, do you really question everything I'm saying? That's one thing, but I really believe Three times of specific and special significance, especially hurtful, because Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. And that's the cause of his breaking down. And so being asked three times has a special significance. You see that, right? Jesus predicted this, that Peter will fold. But Peter argued vehemently he will never fold. Even if he died, he would stand by Jesus. That was his self-perception. That was what he thought, who he was, and what he was capable of doing. Turns out, he's not. (laughs) Jesus knew better than Peter uh, what Peter was made of. And, you know, Jesus should have been disappointed in Peter. Wouldn't you, if your best friend did something like that, wouldn't that be disappointing? Right? You know? Like you can imagine like in junior high, your best friend kind of like, all of a sudden cool kids come around and your best friend is like, I don't know her. No, I'm not friends with her. I'm with you. I mean, that would be like devastating, right? In Jesus' case, I mean, this was horrible, right? Jesus should have said, Peter, you disqualified yourself. In fact, Jesus said in the Bible that if you deny knowing me, I will deny knowing you before God. Right? Anyone remember that? So Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. At a critical point, he said, even if I die, I'll stick by you. First chance he gets, he just denies even knowing Jesus. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be disappointing? Jesus should have said, I told you, I warned you. If you deny me, I will deny you. you know, that's what Jesus should have done, but that's not what happens, is it? He is very kind and compassionate to Peter. He restores him to being a shepherd, to be a leader of the people of God. And Jesus said, if you want to know what God is like, look at him. 
is the perfect reflection of God. So what this means is that God is just a lot more kind and understanding and compassionate than we think He is. Right? He understands that it was difficult for Peter. Jesus sees more in Peter than Peter sees in himself. Peter is so disappointed in himself, but Jesus is not faced. Jesus believes in Peter a lot more than Peter believes in himself. Isn't that encouraging? We need to change our mindset, our beliefs about what God is like. God, we, we just think God is just so, God must be so disappointed in us. Because we are disappointed in ourselves. Right? Are you not disappointed in yourself? I see a lot of people nodding their heads. Thank you for being honest. But that's true. If you're like me, there are lots of things about ourselves that are disappointing, isn't it? We're not as successful or character, our appearance, our whatever. There's a lot that we fall short on. And we are pretty harsh on ourselves. And so we project that onto God. And we think that God must be so disappointed and angry with us because He's perfect. If we are this disappointed in ourselves, how much more would God be disappointed in ourselves? Right? And larger religions actually run on that human impulse. Larger religions teach you that God is really angry and really disappointed in you all. Wouldn't you agree? All the time. Oh, I'm unworthy. Oh, I'm unworthy. But when we look at Jesus, that's not how God acts. And folks, God already knows us in and out. Nothing we do, I mean, we surprise ourselves, right? We do things and we're disappointed. But God already knows all that you are going to do that's disappointing. Agreed? God already knows everything that's in you that's flawed and disappointing and falls short. He knows in and out better than you yourself. Agreed? And God loves you. God loves you to no end. Amen? Amen. He knows it all and He loves you, accepts you. He's not faced by it. That's good news. Hallelujah. That's what faith is about. Now look at Jesus, how kind he is towards Peter. You know, what is really touching about this story is that Jesus went to Peter and met him in Galilee. Because Galilee represents that place of depression. When you're just so disappointed in everything, you just crawl, crawl, curl up in a ball, and you just like, you know, that place of pity party, right? The self-pity. The world is no good. I'm no good. Everything's no good. And you just stay in bed and you get like several tubs of chocolate ice cream and you just eat it all. 
And you just like feel disgusted about everything and everyone, including yourself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you relate? That, that pity party, that, that place of self-pity, that's Galilee. That's where Peter goes to lick his wounds. That's the place of dark, you know, just implosion. And you know what? Just a few days before, Jesus told Peter and the disciples, don't go back to Galilee, stay in Jerusalem. Don't throw the pity party, stay in Jerusalem. And Peter didn't listen, did he? Just goes right to Galilee. <laughs> you know, it's hard. I mean, we all know it's no good to throw a pity party, right? You know, we don't want to eat several tubs of chocolate ice cream, do we? But it's just so hard to resist. We just go there. And Jesus doesn't say, Peter, I told you not to go to Galilee. I told you to stay in Jerusalem. How many times are you going to just not? So Jesus doesn't even chastise Peter for not staying in Jerusalem. He just goes right to the root of the problem by asking Peter three times whether He loves him and then restores him to being a shepherd of God's people. This is a tremendous moment for Peter. This is the moment of restoration. This is the the moment that will decide whether he collapses or he becomes Peter. That 2,000 years later, we are still talking about him. All popes model themselves after Peter. This is the moment. But to accept this restoration, Peter has to make a major course correction. His life is not going to be full of glory and power like he thought. Jesus says, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Does that sound like a life filled with success and glory and power? No, does it? It it, it sounds like it's going to be pretty difficult. And it's going to be, you know, I mean, Peter, in his lifetime, he wasn't a success. He dies a martyr's death. He's a failure in many ways. Most people thought him a failure. And he's not acclaimed. There is no power in his life. But he is restored. And he glorifies God. And he changes the world. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But Peter has to adjust his expectations on what it means to follow Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not going to be success and glory. It's going to be difficult. He has to adjust his expectations. So what is he going to do? He needs to course correct his expectations, but not his purpose. That's the first lesson from Peter's story and my first practical suggestion for today. Be quick to course correct your expectations but not your purpose. You should be quick to your expectations of what and how life will turn out. Be willing to just course correct all the time but don't change your purpose. I I made a lot of course corrections in my life as I said I went from college Christian ministry to PhD in economics to 
uh, career in finance to back to pastoring and who knows what else next. There's a lot of course corrections that can come. But the purpose never changed. In all those course corrections, there's always been this this rock-solid purpose of serving people in need, serve God, stay close to Jesus. Those things never changed. That's a purpose that Jesus gives Peter. Do you love me? Stay close to me. Feed my sheep. Help people in need. Serve God. Now that's all there is. Help people and love God. You know, we call that the greatest commandment. That purpose never changes. And that's what Jesus reminds Peter of. What, does, what matters is not whether Peter did everything right. What matters is not that Peter followed this righteous biblical life. He didn't. He denied Jesus. First chance he got. He failed utterly. But to Jesus, that's not what, he, what matters. To Jesus, to God, what matters is in his heart and whether Peter loves God. Do you love Jesus? That's really all that matters. And Peter says, yes, I love you because, you know, Jesus is wonderful. I mean, if you don't love Jesus, there's something wrong with you, really. I'm sorry, this is church, but still. I mean, even for any human being, how can you not love this guy, Jesus, right? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he is like love incarnate. Right? And so as long as you love that, which I think most human beings, unless you're a complete sociopath who just wants to hate people and kill people, you probably love Jesus. And so that's... All that matters to God. And Jesus restores Peter. Take care of my sheep. And Peter comes out of his pity party and he becomes this powerful world changer. That is power of faith. That is something that Jesus can do for you. No matter where you are, no matter what you think you're capable of, no matter what dark place you go to, Jesus can meet you today and do what he did for Peter for you today. Amen? That's what faith is about. Faith is not about reading Bible stories and trying to live this moral, righteous life. You can do that with any ethical system. What is special about faith is that Jesus is alive. He is risen. Peter needed the risen Jesus. Nothing else could have brought him out of that dark place. He could not have read the Bible and just come out of where he was. He needed the living God to come, meet him, and do this restoration for him. Wouldn't you agree? And that's what we need. That's what we need. We have to put in the work to encounter the living God in our lives in real time to do these course corrections and live the kind of life that God can lead you into. And so one thing that can help in the process is you should get into spiritual exercises like examine, for example. We talk about examine around here. We talk about consolation, desolation. These 
This is about what lifts up your soul, what depresses you, developing the spiritual eye to see what you are made for. This can help you find your life purpose. It takes work. And it's not about like, what thrills me? You know, what thrills us as human beings, success and power and glory, that's not the, the guiding light here. What, what this is about is truly seeing how you are made. You know, that's spiritual growth. Now, we have a book called Sleeping with Bread. That book can help you. Uh, pick it up. Buy it on Amazon, you know, like invest. And in, in, in encountering God for your life purpose. If you need some personal guidance, Sarah Firsty, our community pastor, offers spiritual guide, direction. Now, she's not going to tell you what your life purpose is. She can't do that. You have to discover it yourself. You have to put in the work and make it happen. And, uh, you know, some of you may not like that. That may sound like too much work. We live in, in a consumer culture. We live in internet age where, you know, every two minutes we get headlines, right? What we want is 10 easy steps to becoming a spiritual giant, right? Three tips on course correction, right? Five fail-safe tips you can do in five seconds to come out of self-pity. That's what we want, right? Honest. And that's what we want at church. You know, you want your pastor to tell you, right? You should read the Bible. Pastor, you read the Bible for 20 hours and tell us all these deep spiritual secrets in two seconds and, and just tell us what to do. That's what we want. But that's not what Christian faith offers. Other religions might offer that, but Christian faith does not offer that. New covenant does not offer that. New covenant is about you going to meet God for yourself. Agreed? Amen? That takes work. That takes wisdom. That takes thinking things through. There is no formula that's going to help you. Not even faith formulas. Not even dogmas. Not even like the Bible. And you can read the Bible and just read it. One of, those, one of those easy formulas that are around the Christian people is, you know, just read the Bible. And just, it's plain. You know, you do what the Bible tells you and it's all going to work out. It does not work like that. It takes more work. It takes more wisdom. Look, Jesus said in the Bible, if you deny me, I will deny you before God. Very plainly spoken. But what does he do with Peter? Peter is the most clear-cut case of denying Jesus. Does Jesus go, now I'm going to deny you? What, did Jesus lie? What, what is this? Right? You can't just open up the Bible and go, oh, it says, slaves should obey their masters. Even if they are like horrible, the Bible says, just do it. You know, it's more complicated than that. God is love. Jesus is love. These things need to be taken with, with context, with wisdom. 
Jesus said, if you want to understand God, look at God through me. Jesus is the context with which we have to look at everything. You have to put in work. Am I, I'm getting a little worked up here, but I'm telling you, you can't just come to church, listen to some formula and say, oh, I'm saved now. I'm good with God now because I got this formula down. Not how it works. You have to course correct on formulas, even faith formulas. Don't base your faith and life on formulas. Jesus shocked pretty much all the godly people of his time by just blowing up all those faith formulas left and right. Wouldn't you agree? That's why they killed him in the end, because they just couldn't take it anymore. Right? Just too many things getting blown up. Talked about Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul is the other big name in church history. You know, he started out as a devoted Bible believer. He calls himself Pharisee of the Pharisees. What that means is that, in today's terms, what he's saying is, I am the most devoted Bible-believing Christian there ever was. Was how he called himself. That's what Pharisee means. Whenever you read that word in the Bible, you just think, Bible-believing Christian. That's what that word means. And he was so sure he had got down, he studied under the former theologians, he had it down cold. But Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and like, oh my God, he has to like change so much of his rock-solid beliefs based on the Bible. See, based on his formulaic thinking on the Bible, he was so sure that Jesus was a heretic and all Christians should be locked up. And he went around hurting people. He locked Christians up in the name of serving God. Because he was so sure that he was right about what the Bible was saying. And all the foremost orthodox theologians of his time agreed with him. The Christians were this small, strange, weird, heretical sect at the time. But he has this experience on the road to Damascus encountering Jesus. And he could have said, you know, experience is dangerous. Experience is deceitful. What's solid is the Bible. I can't trust this experience. I've got to hold on to my Bible beliefs. He could have done that, don't you think? And many people do. But he decided to change his mind based on this experience because... He realized God is love. That it's not okay to hurt people in the name of God. Okay? Guys, don't hurt people in the name of God. It happens way too often. In the name of God, slavery was defended. To war, even. In the name of God, people feel free to persecute, exclude, and hurt people like crazy. And people have no problem because, hey, I'm doing it in the name of God. I'm serving God. So you feel good about this, even as you're hurting people. That is horrible. That is misusing the name of God. God will never hurt people. God is love. Okay? Because Jesus is love. Jesus, as he was getting crucified, as they were nailing him to the cross, he said, forgive them, God, for they know not what they do. That is Christian faith. So... We love people. We serve people. We serve God. We stay close to Jesus. And that's what matters. 
So my final suggestion is don't be a taker. Be a servant leader. Don't be a consumer. Don't, don't like just always go, you know, what are these formulas? And how can I enrich my life? And, you know, even in faith settings, you know, it's all about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. You know, and, and going around holding people in the name of God, you know, that, that is a consumer mentality. That, that is like, I'm righteous. I feel good about being righteous. Or even throwing a, a pity party. That's a consumer mentality. How does it serve anyone for you to throw a pity party? You know what I mean? I mean, you get something out of that self-pity. You know, all that, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm a failure, I can't do anything. How does that serve anyone? Can you tell me? Is that feeding Jesus' sheep? No. You're just thinking about yourself. It's just another form of just being selfish and self-absorbed and being a consumer. Agreed? So repent. Turn around. Serve people. Serve God. Stay close to Jesus. Don't go to those dark places. When you find yourself in that place, come out. Talk to Jesus. Ask yourself, how am I serving people? And go do something to serve people. That is the deepest fulfillment you can experience as a human being. To help someone. To serve someone. That will lift you up. Because God is behind that. God will come and meet you there. God will lift you up. God will bless you. And God will stay with you throughout everything in life as you need to do any kind of course correction. Just keep that in mind. Do you love Jesus? Feed and help and love people. All that matters. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are alive. That we don't have to just read about you and get lessons and and we just do those lessons. That's not what faith is about. You are alive. You are risen. You are meeting with us. You are restoring us. You are uh, zigging and zagging with us. You meet us in Galilee. You inspire us in Jerusalem. Help us, God, even today to come out of our self-obsession, come out of our consumer mentality and help us to become a a light and a salt in this world as we give our lives over to loving you and loving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.